Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you. Bill Jack, Worldview Academy with me. And today, let's take a look at UFOs, unidentified flying objects. Uh, Bill, for the first time in history, Congress is recognizing unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs they call them, may exist. If Congress approves the intelligence bill, lawmakers will mandate the creation of a special government office to determine what's terrestrial and what's extraterrestrial. These unidentified flying objects have stumped military pilots for decades. This is a Fox News story just came out, I think, yesterday. There are unexplained events out there, says former CIA officer and Senate leadership intelligence advisor Ron Marks. If you can't explain it, then as a good intelligence person, you should analyze it to know what's there and what's not. So this has been in the news quite a bit over the last number of months. In fact, uh, the Pentagon is uh, thinking about releasing dozens of UFO videos, most of which have been taken by Navy pilots where they've captured these strange flying objects and they have no idea what it is. Right. This is not unusual. We should, we should have expected this because for years there was the SETI project, S-E-T-I, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, in which we spent millions, if not billions, of taxpayer dollars focusing giant dishes, telescopic dishes, to outer space to retrieve ambient signals, which they hoped would indicate intelligent life. And the assumption, the underlying assumption, underlying worldview in both of these projects, is that we are arrogant to think that we are the only creatures who have evolved in the universe. We just happen to live on the right planet. So with all the planets out there, that we are arrogant to think that we are unique. And so there must be other civilizations, other other beings out there, and we are going to try to make contact with them because evolution has to be true. That's how life came about. And so your underlying worldview drives your science. It drives your politics. It drives the the spending of public monies. And this is a waste of time. It's interesting. There's never anything definitive. There's never anything definitive. Even if you talk about Bigfoot or some of these other weird phenomena that we see. Yeah, from from leprechauns to Sasquatch. Right, right. On to, on to Martians. But, uh, but here, UFOs divert people's attention. Yes, they do. They create distraction. They hold people in awe of something beyond their immediate reality. But you know what? UFOs are not awesome. Let's just say it. They're not awesome. There's nothing awesome. There's nothing awe-inspiring about these images that just fly through the sky. That's not an awesome creation. It's no indication of some powerful thing that's been created by God. Uh, in other words, they want to divert, and these, I think, are demonic influences. You mentioned this off-air as well, that you believe there's some demonic influence in society, and I think the demons are constantly diverting our attention from the things that really matter. Yeah, it, it's interesting because the technology of UFOs has always just been a, a few steps or a step ahead of ours throughout history. Mm-hmm. And, and so we see them and we think, ah, these are massively intelligent beings from another planet. And it always turns out that, that shortly thereafter, not too many years thereafter, we develop technology that can imitate or mimic the same thing. And so it's my opinion that these are 
demonic beings. Some of them are. Some of them are just, you know, explainable natural causes, but some of them are de- demonically inspired deceptions. And to, to get our focus on the creature rather than the creator. Well, there has been weird phenomenon, mildly impressive supernatural events that have occurred off and on throughout world history. And we certainly see that with witch doctors on occasion. You remember the uh, witch doctors, the wizards that were operating when Moses came into Egypt mm-hmm. and they were able to turn their stakes into a snake and then the Moses snake consumed the other snakes. You remember that. So yeah. God in his sovereign control over all things, including the demonic world, enables some degree of power and even some degree of supernatural power to some of these uh, demons and the witch doctors that uh, are influenced by these demons. Mike Snavely, uh, the man who presented at the Father-Son Retreat over the weekend, uh, he's a great creationist speaker, by the way. I highly recommend Mike Snavely to anybody who wants to bring some really engaging, interesting stories, especially about nature. And, uh, and about creation uh, to your churches or your homeschool groups. Uh, excellent, excellent. But he told the story of growing up in South Africa in some of the areas in which the colored folks or the Indian folks were, were active and very much uh, controlled by the Hindu religion. And he said it was about eight or ten years of age at the time. He said he witnessed a Hindu priest who was initiated into the priesthood uh, pulling a cart through a bed of coals. Uh, the cart was uh, the hooks of the cart were dug into the back of his skin and uh, he pulled it through and his eyes were way up into his head, obviously some kind of a demonic influence upon him. And these thousands of Hindus, he said, were held in bondage to this demonic circus trick for the years or the decades or even the generations that followed because they would witness this. And it was an apparent supernatural phenomenon. And they were impressed by it and held in bondage to it. And it was interesting, as he told this story, I thought of uh, being up in that uh, monastery in Kathmandu, where a Buddhist monk who had been converted to Christianity took me to the largest monastery in Nepal and uh, told me the stories of how these uh, these religionists are somewhat held captive by visions of these uh, monks flying through the air, le- levitated, you know, 10, 15 feet, maybe even 100 feet in the air. And that one event would hold the adherence of Buddhism uh, in bondage to that, you know, false religion for centuries, for generations afterwards. He said it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it seems to capture the intention of those who witness it, and then they carry it, you know, on into uh, future generations. And the de- demons can do this sort of things. But let me get this straight: your God can levitate somebody ten feet in the air. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, you know, we we can use jet power to fly people through the air at, you know, 600 miles per hour over a distance of 4,000 miles. Okay, so we can do that. And let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about the true and living God. So, so your God, let me get this straight. Your God can levitate somebody 10 feet in the air. Okay, well, can I tell you about the true and living God? He <laughs> He creates... The universe. He creates the galaxies. He and, raises people from the dead. I mean, and he on. he rolls stones away and yeah. he raises them from the dead, not yeah. just raises them ten feet in the air. Yeah. So let me get this straight: your demons can kill people. Okay. Yeah. The the the, the true and living God, by His Son Jesus Christ, will raise the dead. Right. So, okay. End of story. No comparison. Be back with more in just a moment on the Generations broadcast. 
What happens when a culture that was established and guided by biblical principles abandons the faith and seeks to live by its own wisdom? In his latest groundbreaking work, Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West, Kevin Swanson unfolds the dramatic history of Western civilization, highlighting the phenomenal impact that Jesus Christ and his people have had upon the thought, culture, and institutions of the Christian West, as well as tracing the slow but devastating decline of Western civilization and the key factors that have led to our spectacular fall over the centuries. A sobering narrative of gospel hope, this book urges its reader to greater fervency in the work of discipleship and the development of an international vision for the church. This is truly a must-read for any Christian seeking to understand the times and seasons in which we live. You can claim your hardcover copy of Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West by visiting generations.org store today. That's generations.org slash store. And we're back on the Generations broadcast. Kevin Swanson, Bill Jack as well. And Bill, they're excited. They're giddy. Scientists are giddy again. I recall when the first uh, Mars rover landed and sent back pictures, you know, it kind of went and then bumped into something, sent back pictures. This was many years ago, and and, and the the headlines were were that they'd found you know water on Mars, but it it said scientists were giddy. Now yeah. that's a, that's a strange picture, giddy scientists, mm-hmm. because they had found what they considered to be a floodplain. Now they didn't find a single drop of water, but they they surmised and they they attested that there was water once on Mars because that was a floodplain, and therefore there has been life life on, on Mars. Mars at some point in the past. Yes, and so and they're hoping for that. They're hoping for that because that yet those same scientists turn around and look at this planet, which is seventy four percent covered by water to this day, and they deny there ever was an event known as the flood. Now that is that is how worldviews operate. It's not seeing is believing. It is believing is seeing. People choose to see what they believe, what they've chosen to believe. And so they have to have water on Mars because they have to have life on Mars because once again evolution must be true. It is their underlying assumption. So therefore we would be arrogant to think that we were the only intelligent creatures and life in the universe. They've drawn some wide-sweeping conclusions. For example, Dr. Vasavada, who is the head scientist of the Curiosity team for NASA. Here's a quote recent. We learned it was not only habitable at one moment in time in Mars history, but probably habitable for millions or tens of millions of years. How would they have known that? How do they know that to be true? How would they have known what the atmosphere was like? Uh, 10 years ago, or 100 yeah. years ago, or 1,000 years ago, or 10,000 years ago. Uh, while the rover was able to de- detect minerals and water that could have supported life, that doesn't necessarily mean that Mars itself harbored life, says this article. Vasavada said that their initial goal was to find out if life was simply even possible there. We've explored Mars enough to know that there are no dinosaur footprints, no big life forms around today. So if life ever did take hold, it probably never got beyond c- kind of a microbial stage. Uh, Vasavada thinks it's likely a combination of events. You can see evidence that rivers once coursed along the surface. 
that maybe even an ocean existed at one point. So early Mars, we're talking three or four billion years ago, was a much more Earth-like place than Mars is today. So that's the conclusion of this guy. Um, Genesis 7 verse 11 gives us, I think, something of indication of what happened. Now, I'm not saying this is the explanation because God could have created Mars with water. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. I don't. I think that that we live in this vast universe that when when we have the new heavens and the new earth, that we will be exploring, we will be working, we will be continuing to to find answers to things, and we will explore the universe. So we will probably be able to go to different planets and and see things like that. I mean, we do it now to to a limited degree. Why not in the the new heavens and the new earth? And the surface of planets have been various forms of liquids and solids, et cetera, et cetera. God certainly can put water anywhere he wants to. Of course, it takes water to sustain life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to make life on any other planet. I don't believe there's any biblical reason to believe there's life anywhere else in the universe. No, because theologically, Christ came to this planet. Jesus came to this planet for what purpose? To die for our sins. Well, perhaps he went to other planets to die for their sins. No, it says Christ died once for all. So there is this 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 theological problem with having beings on other planets. Well, maybe they didn't sin. Well, no, the Bible says that Adam and Eve sin affected all of creation. All of creation groans for the return of Christ. So theologically, you can't have these alien beings. Scientifically, there's no evidence for such beings. It is a, it's a hopeful monster theory. One more explanation that I think is uh, some credence to it. Again, we don't have any ultimate explanation for how water may have wound up on Mars. But uh, Genesis 7:11, as we approach the flood, and remember, the flood was a major catastrophe in which the entire world was submerged by water. And so this is a massive global catastrophe beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Okay, just short of the earth and the universe burning up. Okay, that would be a a, a little bit more of a catastrophe than what we see with the worldwide flood of roughly 4,400 years ago. Genesis 7 verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, here it is, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up. Now, what in the world is that? There must have been water subterranean underneath as in enough to fill oceans mm-hmm. all right so if there was water enough to fl- fill oceans and to cover the entire surface of the globe much of which was underneath the surface of the earth that must have been a lot of water okay so if if the fountains of the great deep broke up there was a fair amount of pressure involved a fair amount of force involved in bringing I would say the majority of the ocean waters out of the subterranean sources and into the, the ocean depths that we now witness today. Uh, now one of the, uh, with the two rovers having been sent back all these pictures and information from the surface of Mars, uh, what we find is features that look like they were formed by moving water. Uh, soon it look, also looks like there was a widespread water action in the Southern hemisphere. Besides erosion, there's widespread evidence of the type of rocks that form underwater. Now, other evidence suggests widespread water action in the northern lowlands as well. 
One of the most dramatic features could be the Mars version of the Grand Canyon called the Valles Marineris. It's uh, 2,000 miles long, 400 miles wide, 5 miles deep, bigger than the Grand Canyon. It's so big it can be seen from Earth with a great good telescope. So it's huge. Now, now I did some calculations. Let's say that 10% of the ocean waters, 32 million cubic miles of ocean, was, uh, was, was pushed out of the subterranean area of the globe. And uh, tremendous pressure, much like what you find with volcanoes, but even more so. Push this water uh, outside of the gravitational pull of the Earth. That would have resulted in water eventually reaching Mars or the moon. These are the closest celestial ob- objects to the Earth. And so, so this sort of thing could have happened. Let's say that, uh, well, the largest volcano ever in history applied uh, 1 times 10 to the 20th joules of energy and shot up 12 cubic miles of gases. Now, given there are 32 million cubic miles of ocean, and that's that would be one-tenth of the ocean waters. So let's, let's, let's take one-tenth of the ocean waters, 32 million cubic uh, miles of ocean. That would be uh, roughly one million times what happened with the largest uh, volcano that has ever Blasted at least in recent history. That's Krakatoa. Krakatoa in the 1800s. Yep. So let's say that uh, that you've got a million times stronger force sending 32 million cubic miles of waters beyond the Earth's gravitational system. This would be enough water to cut mountains and valleys in the Moon and the Mars, the two closest celestial bodies to us, and also could have contributed to the comets because nobody knows how the water uh, formed the, the the comets, which is that those big old bodies of ice that are rushing around our solar system. How in the world could that have started? It could have started uh, around the time of the worldwide flood. All right. So, so the crack probably existed along the ring of fire, which is interesting. About 90% of the earth's earthquakes and about 81% of the world's largest earthquakes occur along the ring of fire. It also happens to be the opposite side of where Noah would have been. I think that's interesting as well. Yeah. So if there had been a massive crack that opened up, you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of cubic miles of ocean waters, that could have happened around the ring of fire. And if that amount of water had been, you know, geysered into the atmosphere and up in beyond the gravitational pull of the earth, uh, you would have expected that God would have somehow somewhat have preserved Noah and the ark during that uh, time of serious catastrophe, worldwide catastrophe. Well, friends, uh, let's just end it there, just to say that God can do what God will do. And we need to assume that the worldwide flood was a worldwide catastrophe that we have never experienced, and it probably had not only serious effects upon the world's uh, mountains and uh, crust, but it probably had something of an effect on the solar system itself. It would not have surprised me that something, some kind of a, you know, uh, a global catastrophe of that magnitude would have affected the universe, uh, the universe and certainly our solar system. Yeah. You know, the, the giddy scientists that I mentioned earlier, it's not because they found little green men on Mars. You know what they found on Mars with this, this theory? They found green backs. They found funding from the government for their continued research. That's why they were giddy. Worldviews drive everything from how you do science 
to how you view man, to how you view God, to how you spend public monies. Well, let's wrap it up this way. People are in, in awe of what may have been a little bit of water running down the surface of Mars. People are giddy over the possibility of unidentified flying objects. People are giddy over these somewhat mildly supernatural events that occur with the Buddhists and the Hindu. But friends, we need to be absolutely in awe of the true and living God and the amazing universe we see all around us. We need to be in awe of the galaxies. We need to be in awe of the supernovas. We need to be in awe of the sheer magnitude, the sheer power of a single star, our sun, that burns at a power of a trillion nuclear bombs going off every second. We need to step back and say, that's way more impressive than whatever the demons do. That's way more impressive than whatever scientists are discovering today. We need to sense the amazingness of God's creation, the amazingness of God. And we want that on the curriculum in our science. We need to be way, way more in wonder, in excitement and awesomeness and reverence for God than we are of man himself. See, man is not awesome. The awesomeness of God is far more awesome than the awesomeness of man. That you have learned, or that man has learned, that these scientists have learned, 0.000001% of God's genius in creation, that's not awesome. God is awesome. God's the one who came up with all of this. We need to pay him the praise and the worship and the glory and the honor that is due him. We need to be a thousand times more in wonder, more in worship of him than we are impressed with whatever man has done or whatever man knows. Yeah. We perhaps uh, families after listening to this should, should should sit around the table and sing our God is an awesome God. That's right. They they should sing that. That's right. The number one reason for science is to delight in God, to to know more of him, to see more of his genius, to get a better grasp of his awesomeness. So that's what we want to do in our science curriculum. And I encourage you to. God made animals. God made life. God made the world. God made everything. God made gardens. God made plants. And that's all available now at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.